when he came in, you got a different looking bulletin for us. We are going to try this for, during the summer. Uh, one of the reasons is that, again, we are introducing this piece called Preparation for Encounter with God. And previously, you used to do lots of announcements uh, at the beginning of the worship service. And there were pros and cons about that. For example, when we do these announcements at the beginning of the worship service, you know, uh, a majority of the congregation was missing. So we were ma making announcements uh, for the people who were there, but not for the people who came in later. So one of the things that you will notice is in the things to know would have the announcement that's announcement that we would like to make each and every week, and it will change. So please uh, uh, take a closer look at those, and those are the things that we would like to highlight in the worship service, so please take a note of that. And then, if you are new, or if you want to uh, send along some prayer requests for pastors to pray, and the connection card is at the back, we are looking to see if you could come up with some perforated papers, uh, which we could not do for this week, but please don't hesitate to fill that as well and put your prayer request, or if you are new and you would like to connect here at Midland Free, and then you can tear that portion off and put it in the offering plate uh, as it passes or comes by you later in the worship service. Okay, so we are going to try this in the summer and see how it works, and if it works very well, we'll continue to do that uh, thereafter as well. Now, this morning, we will conclude our sermon series from the Old Testament book of Judges. And which we began, by the way, right after Easter in April. So it's been about two months, uh, perhaps about eight or nine sermons. And uh, if you remember, we gave this sermon series the title, How to Live in Dark Days. I guess by there are two implications. Judges were written during the darker days of Israel. And somehow what is implied is that we might be living in darker days as well. And therefore, how do we live in those kinds of days, darker days in the history of humanity? Now, again, we have talked about all of these different judges and we kind of beat them up because they were not doing a great job, you know, things like that. And every, every judge had a, negative, you know, a few more negative things that we, we had to say about them and so on. But at the end of the day, when all said and done, what's the takeaway? What's our takeaway that we could actually go home and go into the world and implement those ideas in our daily lives? I began to think about that, so that's how the sermon ended up being shaped. And here are two things. I want to be very, very practical today. And here are two takeaways that I came up with. First, live a life of repentance day in and day out, each and every day, each and every minute, all the days of our lives. The second one was live a life of service to the Lord. In other words, being ready to serve God when God calls us to do so. Now, you might wonder where I got these ideas from. Again, if it's not biblical, it's not coming straight out of the book of Judges, then, you know, David ended up making, make, you know, David made up these things. And I get these ideas, these two ideas from the two repeated phrases that we often saw in the book of Judges. And here's the first one. 
the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The key word is again. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of fill in the blanks. Whether they gave, God gave them to Moabites for 18 years, or Canaanites for 20 years, Midianites for 7 years, Ammonites for 18 years, the Philistines for 40 years. There was a repeated cycle of sin and discipline. Sin by the people and discipline by God. And that's where the first idea comes from. Therefore, let us live a life of repentance. Sin is inevitable, by the way. We will sin. We are not perfect people, and therefore we will sin, we will offend people, we will hurt people, and we will be hurt by others, and therefore the only way to live is to live a life of repentance. Each and every day, each and every minute, and all the days of our lives. The second one comes from the second repeated phrase, which is, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer. And here it is. So sin and repentance, or sin and discipline, and once the discipline gets harder and tougher, people cry out to God. There's a repentance piece again. And then God raised up for them a deliverer. And there it is. Live a life of service to the Lord, which we are going to talk about in detail. Again, God raised up the, the, several of them. Some of them we did not even look at during the sermon series. But let's name those who, whom we talked about. We talked about Ehud. We talked about the partnership with Deborah and Barak. We talked about Gideon. We talked about Jephthah. And we talked about Samson. These were all spirit-empowered people whom God raised up to deliver from their sin and discipline. And so that's where the idea of live a life of service to the Lord comes up. So let's ask the question, what exactly caused the Israelites to fall into sin then? And then we'll talk about what may cause us to sin today. And I will go back and forth, then and now motif, as we look at this particular idea. So here's what happened. God brought the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt and settled them down in Canaan, a place called Canaan. There they were surrounded by, as well as influenced by, several pagan nations. For example, the natives, the Canaanites, were there because it's Canaan. So the Canaanites were there. And in the surrounding areas lived the Moabites, the Midianites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, and there were several others as well. And they are represented by a picture you will see on the big screen. Here it is. The Israelites were surrounded by the Moabites, the Canaanites, the Gideon, Midianites, the Ammonites, and Philistines. And these people, uh, the people of these nations, worshipped idols. That's idolatry, which Yahweh, the God of Israel, forbade as he because he demanded singular, undivided devotion from his people. 
And they were, what does it mean to be a pagan? Because they had their own rituals and practices. And in fact, they did some detestable things or weird things to, to please their so-called gods who are really idols with the hope of receiving some favors from them. And so here are some of them. There are several of them, by the way. I'm going to point out just two of them for you this morning. The first one is actually ritual prostitution. That is, these, the people in these, of these pagan nations believed that this would encourage their gods or idols to mate with one another. They have a gods, they have a goddesses, there are male gods and female gods, so there are male idols and p- female idols and all of that. So somehow, when they, when they went to their temples or uh, their, their, their shrines and they had sex with one another, that would cause the gods or the idols to have sex with one another. And that would result in the land being fertile and rain will fall. They will have a great harvest. That's what they believed. Seems weird, but wait till we look at what is happening today. Seems weird, but that's what they believed. So many young people, boys and girls included, both sexes, were forced into prostitution, but it's referred to as temple prostitution. So you, you went to the temple, and boys and girls were waiting, and you could choose whoever, and you, have, you basically had sex with them. And that involved both heterosexual sex as well as homosexual sex. And some of these boys and girls were abused to the point of death. Because one of the things that we struggle with is that, you know, God asked the Israelites to come into the Canaan and essentially wipe out all of these people, and we scratch our head and say, that looks like genocide. Why? This is why. They were evil. And the only comparison that we could have today is actually compare them to the modern-day terrorists and why we drop bombs on them. The second is child sacrifice. And the god or the idol that's known for this actually is Molech, M-O-L-C-H. And what they did was they, they built a bronze statue of this idol or the god, so called god with a small g. And it's made up of bronze, and underneath it, surrounding him, they lit fire. So what happens is this bronze statue is red hot, right? Because metal conducts heat, and it's just red hot. And then outside of that, they built a stage, kind of platform kind of thing, and parents came in and sacrificed their children. So this is outstretched arms, and it's kind of tilted this way. So parents would put their children in the arms, and it will slide and fall down into the fire, and they sacrifice their children, hoping, here's their belief, that, that somehow this God would bless them. So for example, when they built a new house, when they planted crops, or when they didn't have children, or they wanted a children, or whatever, they, they felt human sacrifice, particularly sacrifice of children, would please a God like this. 
And they did that. And here's more horrifying is that parents are not to display any grief. If they did, the sacrifice would be invalid. Instead, mothers were to dance and sing when they sacrificed their children. I hope your blood is boiling right now. That's what these people were. You know what's even more horrifying? The Israelites actually copied this practice in a valley near Jerusalem called Je Jehena. And in fact, archaeologists have found evidence, hundreds of jars containing infant bones there. So that's what these pagan nations did to them. I shouldn't say the pagan nations did to them. That's how the Israelites were influenced by these pagan nations, and therefore they adopted their practices, which God had forbidden, and it was detestable in the eyes of God. And therefore, he disciplined them. Now, how about us today? Obviously, things are different. So we may not be affected by the same nations. I don't know, by the way, to tell you the truth, where the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Philistines and the Midianites, and, and they live anymore. I don't know if they, they call them by that, those names or not. But here are some of the things that I thought, as I thought about it, will appear on the picture on, on the screen as well. Think about some of these. Do you? We are surrounded by these forces, post-modernism, religious pluralism, religious liberalism and conservatism, secularism, materialism, consumerism, individualism, tribalism, nationalism, political liberalism and conservatism, racism, sexism, addictions, drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling. We are surrounded by all of these things, aren't we? These may not be nations, but these are true. So I'm going to take a look at a few of them. We, we won't have the time to go through each and every one of them. But let's, let's uh, uh, people in the back room, keep this slide for a while, and I say go through this one. Postmodernism says there's no absolute truth. Truth is relative. So I have my truth. It works for me. You have your truth. It works for you. As long as I don't impose my truth on you and you don't impose my truth on me, we can get along. Right? Secularism says that, hey, keep religion pri private. If it works for you, keep it. Don't bring it into the public arena. Take prayer or Bible studies or whatever out of the schools, out of the workplaces, you know, in, from the public arena. Religious pluralism says there are many different paths to God, and there are, there's a pathway from Islam, there's a pathway from Hinduism, there's a pathway from Buddhism, and there's a pathway from New Age movement, whatever else, they're all here. Aren't they? One of the things that, has, that, that this has done to Christians is, we, we, I want to use this word tolerance. It's a huge word. 
We need to tolerate these kinds of things in order to get along with one another. As a result, what has happened? We don't talk about Jesus. The second person of the Trinity who came down to earth and died for our sins on, on the cross, and as a result, we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and he will come back again and establish kingdom in new heaven and new earth. We don't talk about it as soon as we get out of church or as soon as we get out of our homes. We don't talk about it at work. We don't talk about it at schools. We don't talk about it in our neighborhoods. It's a church. It's in a, within our house. But when I read the scripture, particularly Acts chapter 8, what, what does it say? Persecution came along and people were scattered and wherever they went, they talked about Jesus. Why don't we talk about him? Outside of our homes. Outside of church. As a result of this, the need to be tolerant, we have become timid, or as in the modern language called, we have become gun-shy about sharing our faith. That's how that particular block of things have influenced us. For example, in the United States, Michigan has one of the largest Islamic population. I know we have them in our workplaces, we have them in our schools. In fact, in Midland, we have an Islamic community center. We don't talk about them. That those ideas have affected Christians to the point that we are afraid to share the name of Jesus. Now let's talk about materialism. It is materialism and the pursuit of material things that gave rise to the health and wealth gospel. If you have enough faith, God will bless you materially. It is material things are a blessing from God. Consumerism. Because as we have material things, we consume and we consume and consume. And what happens here is that when we come to church, we come as consumers and not as servants. Right? What's in it for me? Not what God wants me to do. Individualism, same thing. Everywhere we go, we expect things to meet our own needs. What would it look like in a church when the church people say, the, the, the Christians say, it is not about me, it's about the collective good. Right? Tribalism, nationalism, 
political liberalism and conservatism, racism and sexism. One of the things that I said to myself when I became a pastor was I would never talk about politics. And I'm going to do that today. I'm not going to talk about politics. But think about it. During the elections, the Facebook is lit up by people of opposing views, including Christians, including people from within Midland Free. And I think we, you know, we have the First Amendment freedom and we can do that. But what aches my heart? Where's the passion to talk about Jesus? Do we have the same passion to talk about Jesus? Some are Republicans, some are Democrats, some are independents. Some are for, you know, Black Lives Matter. Some are for All Lives Matter. Are we anymore consulting the scripture to see what the word of God says? That's the first place to go to. What does the word of God say about these things? And if you're not doing that, we begin to realize how these things have affected us, the Christians, and therefore the church. Addictions. Drugs and alcohol and sex and gambling. and You know these kinds of things are destroying people. And as Christians, our job is to speak into these situations. Instead, we are affected by it. We are addicted. And therefore, we have no message. So the point that I'm trying to make is that we are no different. We beat up on the Israelites. We beat up on all the deliverers that God raised up and their negativity and, you know, and sometimes we, in fact, if you were me, and I even said to myself, what in the world was he thinking? Until I begin to think about these things, and I have been affected, just like the Israelites were affected. The Israelites were affected or influenced by the surrounding nations and their pagan practices, and we are surrounded by worldly forces and influenced by them. One commentary put it this way. Like the ancient Israelites, we too are being squeezed in the mold of the pagan world around us. Our preoccupation with material prosperity, which turns Christianity into a fertility religion. Our syncretistic and aberrant forms of worship, our refusal to obey the Lord's call to separation from the world, our divisiveness and competitiveness, our moral compromises, as a result of which Christians and non-Christians are often indistinguishable, our male exploitation and abuse of women and children, our reluctance to answer the Lord's call to service, and when we finally go, our, our propensity to displace thy kingdom come with my kingdom come. 
our eagerness to fight the Lord's battles with the world's resources and strategies, our willingness to stand up and defend perpetrators of evil instead of justice. Do any of these ring true to you, true to me, true to us? Therefore, just like the Israelites, we need to repent. That's why I am saying we need to live a life of repentance each and every day, each and every minute, all the days of our lives. That's the first point. And the question is, how do we repent? And here it is. You know, in preaching to the uh, large crowd on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter said this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And that's what we need to do each and every day. In fact, I used to, uh, you, you used to be in the habit of actually at the end of the day, I will lie on my bed. It's time for my sleep. I will lie on my bed. I will recount all the things from the time I woke up until I was lying on the bed and God would bring to mind the things. And I would praise for some of the things and I will repent of some of those things and seek his forgiveness. Today, as we live as Christians in the New Testament era, the forgiveness is available to all those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, there's a second half of the statement that got my attention here. You see what it says. And Peter said to them, in a repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And here it is. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when the Israelites were uh, sinned and then God disciplined them, they called on the name of the Lord. So there, there's a the cycle that we have been talked about. Sin and repentance and the discipline and repentance and then deliverance. What did God do? God actually raised up people from within and empowered them by the Holy Spirit to deliver them. The point that I'm trying to make is that why would we expect anything different? If this church has a problem, God will raise up from people from within to deliver us. If this nation has problems, people from, God will raise up from within people who will deliver them. We don't have to look outside. Because you know what happens? Because we, in the New Testament era, you know, God, in the Old Testament era, God empowered, empowered certain individuals by his spirit to deliver them. But here in the New Testament era, we are all empowered by the Holy Spirit. At the time of our salvation, when we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, one of the gifts that we get is that the Holy Spirit comes and takes the precedence in us, and therefore we are all spirit-empowered. And therefore, let me go on to say we are all God's instruments of deliverance. Do you believe that? 
that we are all, if you are a born-again believer sitting here in the, in the worship center today, that you are the spirit-empowered deliverer of God. So that's why I say the second point, live a life of service to the Lord or live a life of deliverance, or God's vehicle of deliverance. God may not use you to preach the word of God. That's fine. And we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and God has gifted you in many different ways. And the question is, are we willing and are ready to be God's vehicle of deliverance for the issues that we face today in our individual lives, in our church life, in our nation's life. Now, one of the things that happens is that anytime you know, uh, we say this word, well, you are, as a spirit-empowered person, God's vehicle of deliverance, there are all kinds of objections and excuses that fly off of people's mouths. I'm not qualified to be a deliverer. I don't know the Bible very well. I don't know if I'm equipped to answer people's questions. I'm afraid. I, I don't want to be embarrassed. But as someone has once said, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And let me show this to you. Let's begin with the judges that we talked about. First one was Ehud. That we talked about him in Judges chapter 3. You know, his entire story is built around the fact that he is left-handed. It may have looked like a minor point there, but the entire story is built around the fact that he is left-handed. Now, in that culture, by the way, I have a daughter who is left-handed. But in that culture, it was viewed as something odd. They even viewed this as a disability. Sometimes they even believed that this, was, this is a sign of evil. So in a culture that absolutely valued right-handedness, this guy was left-handed. In fact, the real translation of the word that, that's given to us in English as left-handed is he is restricted in his, actually, in his right hand. I have a, a wrong thing there. He's restricted in his right hand. That's translated as left-handed. Perhaps the translation is correct, but it wouldn't be possible that he was disabled in his right hand. Yeah, this was the only one that was available to him. Right? So he, he made a knife 
and he went to see this king and he kills him. Usually what happens is, you know, people who are like in the airports, they tap you and check you and all of those different things. And he hid this knife under it. And usually if it's a right-handed person, he will have his knife on the, on the left leg. And if it's left-handed, you will have it here. And one of the commentaries that I read said, you know what? They didn't think this guy was left-handed. It's so uncommon, so unusual. So they, la- they, they checked his left leg and there was nothing in there. So let him in with the knife. And that enabled him to actually reach out in here. Even the king wasn't expecting him. Okay. So here's a guy who lived in a world where left-handedness was not appreciated. Perhaps he was even disabled in his right hand. He was God's deliverer. He was the spirit-empowered deliverer of Israel. Here's the second one. We talked about Deborah and Barak. By the way, when we, when we check, you know, when we are doing hirings and all of that, we check references. One of the things that we ask the person who is acting as a reference is, tell us a few words that would capture who this person is. One of the questions that we ask. And that's what I'm going to do. So Deborah was a woman in a culture that did not value women. Barak was weak-willed, reluctant, indecisive, and timid. Deborah had spoken to him many, uh, many times to go and be the deliverer. He wouldn't do it. Gideon, a man of fear. He was bitter toward God. He lacked faith, confidence, and courage. And God, by choosing him and empowering him by the Spirit of God, he was building up all of these different things. He built up faith. He built up confidence. He built up courage. Jephthah. He was the son of a prostitute. Illegitimate. Outcast. Inferior. One, you know, one word descriptions of this guy that God chose. Rejected, ostracized, discriminated against. He had no standing in society. That's the person God chose and empowered by his spirit to deliver Israel. Samson. Sexually immoral. I, I, I was laughing, you know, as I was writing this because, you know, I have done several phone calls like this and I'm, I'm kind of thinking, okay, I'm, hey, give me a reference of Samson. And the person on the other end said, oh, sexually immoral, womanizer, adulterer, hot-tempered. Boy, he was, he's an angry man. He was a revenge take. Would you hire a person like that? God did. God did. You know, in preaching last week about Samson, I, I quoted a commentary which said this. You know, the picture of the book of Judges paints of this man is ugly. 
Samson is disrespectful of his parents, callous toward his Nazarite calling, without any loyal to his own people, compromising in his ethic, rude to his wife, flippant with his tongue, and driven by lust, egotism, and appetite. But do you know what's surprising in all of this? Now, I have been telling you that yet God used all of these people, but most surprising was what I read in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 and 34. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the hall of fame of faith. It has Abraham and just Moses and, you know, all of those big names, you know, who came as deliverers in Israel. And here it is in verse 32. And what more shall I say? He's listing all of these people, and obviously he's running out of space, so he's asking this question, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, they in fact did. Enforced justice, they were judges. Obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Daniel actually killed a lion. Quenched the power of, quenched the power of fire. Escaped the edge of sword were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Let me say this. These people that we looked at from the book of Judges are listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith, not on account of their character or accomplishments. No. But they are listed on account of God's character and accomplishments through them. So the God who used all of these people can use you and I because we are spirit-empowered. To be deliverers, God's deliverers, who can actually deliver people, nations, from the sins that they are trapped in. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. If you did not take anything away from this, I hope you remember this phrase. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Therefore, go into the world and live a life of repentance. We need to repent of some of these things that I talked about earlier, by the way. We have become timid about talking, you know, uh, regarding talking about Jesus. We have brought in the consumerism into our churches. And so on. And the second one, live a life of service to the Lord. As spirit-empowered people, we are God's agents of deliverance in the world today. Let's pray. Oh God, we...
we repent of the sins that we talked about, Lord. Help us. Help us. Revive us. Forgive us. Let the Holy Spirit manifest mightily in and through us so that we become truly what you intended us to be, to be your agents of deliverance in this world. Help us do that in the days and months and years to come and all the days of our lives. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus.